morning, everybody. It's good to see those of you who are with us. And if you're watching this online, it's good to have you with us as well. Um, we are going to be continuing this morning our study of the book of Ezekiel. Um, and this one, you know, sometimes it, it's been hard for me to figure out what the point of my discussion with you would be. I mean, the the contents of the book of Ezekiel are, are you know, kind of run the gamut a little bit. And, you know, how is this relevant to us today? Sometimes has been a little bit difficult for me to pick out, and, and I struggle with that sometimes. But this week isn't necessarily the case. Um, I think there's a clear lesson here. And, and this passage that we're going to be talking about is talking about and I've, I've got false teachers as a title. Uh, and it's really the condemnation of false teachers. And I understand that as I stand here in front of you, I need to make sure that I don't fall into this category. Uh, and, and it's my responsibility standing before you that I don't teach things that aren't scriptural according to the the whole counsel of scripture and one of the reasons you know i've have discussions all the time about about our our literal interpretation of the bible and and i've said to other people including family members extended family members you know why do you believe they ask why do you believe the bible is literally uh, you know, it just you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense if you believe it literally, and I disagree with that statement because I think if you don't interpret the Bible literally, it makes no sense at all. It's a nonsense book unless it's true, and that's why, primarily, I believe the Bible and I I interpret it literally. So, we're going to be talking about chapter thirteen. So you open up your Bibles to there if you want. We're going to work our way through here. Now, as we've been studying this book, uh, I've put this timeline up, and we are kind of in that in-between second and third stage period, and you'll notice that I figured out how to make arrows. So uh, we'll, we'll keep developing talents as we go along. My slides will get better. So we're kind of in this period that's, that's highlighted with the red arrow. The second siege has been completed, and that's the point at which Ezekiel was taken. And I've heard different numbers of how many Israelites were taken during the after after the second invasion of Jerusalem. I've, you know, probably somewhere around ten thousand Jews and Israelites were taken from Israel at the end of that second siege. And one of them was Ezekiel, and they settled in the area around the river Kibar, south of Babylon. I'm not going to put the map up. You've seen it. But, you know, they are still not... The, the people of Israel, the, the people still in Jerusalem, as well as the exiles, were still looking at this period of exile, this period of hardship, uh, as a temporary thing, that it's all going to get worked out, everything's going to be okay. But the prophets that we've been studying, especially Ezekiel, is saying, no, that's not the case. 
And, and Jeremiah and his prophecies, he's still, uh, he's still in Jerusalem, uh, or around Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah is, is giving prophecies, saying the same thing. This isn't the end. God is still going to deal with the people of Israel, uh, the people of Jerusalem. So these two prophets are prophesying that bad things are coming you got, God's not done dealing with Jerusalem yet. God is not done dealing with the people of Israel. So buckle your seatbelts. Here's the outline that I've been using. And again, there's my red arrow. <laughs> I'll figure out how to change colors later. Uh, but we're in the second section, the oracles of judgment. And, and this is a pretty good chunk of the book of Ezekiel is, is encompassed in this in this topic, this broad topic. Uh, we're about halfway through, maybe, yeah. So chapters 12 through 23 uh, all deal with the oracles of judgment. And it's not just Jerusalem, but uh, other nations as well, but that, that comes later. So these oracles of judgment are pretty much against the house of Israel, the, the Jews. And we're talking about... Uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that's happening here, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is that a lot of the teachers in Jerusalem were teaching that these doom prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they don't know what they're talking about. Everything is going well. We've got a king in Jerusalem, and he's in good stand with, with the king of Babylon. Uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he's taking care of things. He's working things out. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to get restored. But Jerusalem of that day, uh, and this, this obviously isn't that day. This is modern-day Jerusalem. So the people of Jerusalem in that day just were, were listening to these people. Uh, but there's a, a message that, that they're not getting. And we're going to be talking about that today. So as we get ready to, to get into our our topic, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have gathered us together to look into your word, to see uh, what has been written, uh, what was prophesied, uh, what took place. We're going to be trying to understand a, a little bit more about your plan for us in this day as we look and see how you dealt with the nation of Israel in the past. Help us to see clearly the things that you want us to see through this passage of Scripture. We're thankful for your word that we have it in our hands, that you have given your complete revelation to us. Help us to bring honor and glory to you in all that we do here this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I want to kind of, I'm going to tie this together a little bit with, with what's happening here in our world today. Uh, but I want to start out by looking at 1 Thessalonians 5.3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. 
This is a passage in Thessalonians that's talking about the end times, the, the time of, of Jacob's trouble. Uh, this is specifically talking about you know, this period of tribulation that has yet to come. We spent a lot of time st- uh, in our Sunday messages hearing about what the book of Revelation teaches and teaches about this stuff. Yet, you know, you hear messages about peace and safety today. You know, things aren't that bad. Things are coming around. Things are looking good. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, look at how tolerant we are. Look at how inclusive we've become. Everything is, is we're just all going to get along, stand around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. And these peace and safety messages are, are popular messages. Uh, they are things that attract people. So when the teachers in Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day said, don't bother listening to what that prophet Ezekiel has to say or what the prophet Jeremiah has to say, you know, things are going to be all right. Again, the king is, is in good stand. The king... Uh, in Jerusalem, is getting along with Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to see this siege that, that, that Ezekiel's talking about. These things aren't going to come to pass. Everything's going well. And the people of Jerusalem listen to those messages. You know, in, in Ezekiel's time, they didn't have the complete revelation of God that we do. And, and we live in a blessed time because we have the Bible. We have the Word of God complete uh, and total. Uh, and all of this allows us to see. I mean, we, we get to read the end of the book. <laughs> you know, we get to see how things end up. But in Ezekiel's time, God's message to the Jews, and he was dealing with the Jews differently than he was dealing with the rest of the world, although... He was influencing the rest of the world, but he was concentrating on this nation specifically. To, to it was through Israel that we were that the law was provided, that the standard that God had for fellowship with Him for righteousness, that standard was given to the world through the Jews. And salvation, and and that message of salvation, that if you only believe uh, you can be saved, that salvation came through Jesus Christ, a Jew, through the line of David, through through the house of Israel, that salvation was was brought and revealed to the world. And all of that is encompassed in, in this word that we have. So... Let's look at Ezekiel and and see what it has to say this morning. Starts out by saying, the, the, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. And just like many mainline megachurch pastors today, and I'm going to pick on them a little bit, uh, they were following their own vision. 
Some translations in, in, in verse 2 there, those who prophesy from their own inspiration, from their own heart, uh, is sometimes translated. So these things, you know, their messages were based on what they think, that, uh, what they feel, uh, what they would like to happen. These teachers in Israel were doing that, and I have to say, not much has changed. You know, we hear messages all the time from people's hearts. This is what we would like it to be. This is the message we would like to give. This is how we think Christianity ought to be. Not what God says it needs to be. Not what God was telling the prophets to say. Not what God is telling us in his word in the total counsel of Scripture. But what we think, what we would like to see. And it says, uh, you know, all, all these issues that are coming up, the, the, the moral issues of our day, uh, morality kind of becomes a, a, a moving target. You know, what's moral? And, and we see through history the ebb and flow of morality. You know, we, yeah, this is kind of taking a little rabbit trail, but you know, when, when our country was founded, when we fought the Revolutionary War, one of the, the fathers uh, of our country, and I can't remember who it was, I almost think it was Adams, said, we study the art of war so our children can study engineering and science. Our children study engineering and science so their children can study arts and literature. And then the cycle kind of repeats itself. Because once you get to a certain point, and we see this uh, in Roman history as well, that you know they started out kind of put together, but, but when the morality standard slipped and slipped too far, uh, it fell apart and, and they were conquered. And, and then... There's a return. We see it in the life of Israel many times, that cycle where they were following God and what he taught them uh, and then over time turned away from the things of God and then they returned to him. And this ebb and flow of morality and, and obedience to God's word rises and falls over time. And we were talking this morning uh, you know, that, that there's things that are, there's individual things that are happening that, that make us think, well, maybe we're turning a corner here. Maybe we're returning to, to morality and, and common sense and, and biblical values. Um, but it, it, it always seems that when, you know, we, when we go too far with immorality and everybody realizes we've gone too far and we come back, we don't always come back to that same point again. That God's standard was set when he gave us the law. That standard's pretty high. And we just get farther and farther and farther away with that, with what's acceptable. And that's not good. So we need to, to do everything to the standard that God sets in his word not what we would like to see. Not what we feel is right. Uh, 
So continuing on in Ezekiel, O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divination, who are saying, the Lord declares, when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. So they're saying these things hoping that they come true, not being, but they're attributing it to God. They're saying, God told me to tell you this when God had nothing to do with the message that they're preaching. Do you not see a false vision? And did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it is not I, the Lord, who have spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, and therefore, behold, I am against you. I am against you, says, I mean, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> you know, if there's one thing in the world that I don't want to have is God against me. Uh, that is a bold statement. I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. Continuing on, it is definitely because they have misled, when they have, sorry, it is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace. When there is no peace, and when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. Now the picture that's being painted here, almost literally, you know, the, you can, you can, build a wall that's meant to last it takes a lot of effort strong boulders and stones and and mortar and you know reinforcement and everything but what they are doing here figuratively is is building this image of of what god is saying and glossing it over with with nice words and and imaginative pictures to make everybody comfortable with with where they're at and not yeah we'll see it here in a minute so they plaster it over with whitewash this thing is it just has a thin veneer on the truth you know covering the truth this thin veneer that won't hold up to the rainstorm to the destruction coming the rainstorms coming like you wouldn't build your your city walls and just put a thin veneer on it to make it look good. Uh, that's not going to fool people for very long because when hardship comes against it, it won't hold up. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come and you, O hailstones, will fall and a violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, Will you not be asked, where is the plaster of which you plastered it? So 
these people who speak these the false prophets who teach these false things, uh, when they're shown to be not true, are going to be asked, you know, why did you mislead us? Why did you take us down this path? Uh, and, and falsely so. Continuing on, Ezekiel 13, verse 13, starting. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I will tear down the wall which you plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst, and you will know that I am the Lord. Thus I will spend my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it over with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is gone, and its plasterers are gone, along with the prophets of Israel who prophesy to Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord. So these prophets weren't speaking for God. They're just going around saying everything's going to be just fine, telling the people what they want to hear. They're saying, essentially, if I can find a church that agrees with the things that I want, and the pastor's teaching it, then it must be okay. I can reinforce my bad interpretations by finding somebody else who agrees with me. And, and the, you know, if the preacher on the pulpit agrees with the things that I'm thinking, no matter how false they are, it reinforces my belief in these false teachings and false, false beliefs. And are these popular messages? Well, I think so. You know, the kinds of churches that, that teach false truths about prosperity, uh, uh, all of these things uh, are a little popular. Second Timothy 4.3 says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Is this a popular message today? This is not a Taylor Swift concert. This is not an athletic venue. This is a church that teaches false things from the Bible. It teaches prosperity. It teaches false truth. It teaches myths that tickle people's ears and make them want to come. That's amazing to me. Amazing to me that so many people can be drawn away from the truth. I'm glad we have a small church <laughs> where we're not afraid to say things that are true. We're we're not drawn to personal gain from the message that we teach. From, you know, I have nothing to gain from the things that I say here to you today. I'm not in it for that. Uh, we're not in it for that. Uh, we are here to teach the truth, and that's why we teach expository from the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does it say? What do the words mean? What, did, what does it mean in the context of 
the historical context of when these things were written and given, and how does that apply to our lives today. Those are the things that we teach here. Uh, we're not going to skip over sections of the Bible because they aren't. We're not going to skip over sections of the Bible because they aren't comfortable. <laughs> we're going to confront those things, those uncomfortable truths that we all have to face. The people of Israel were being faced with, they'd turned to idolatry, and God's about ready to bring wrath upon them. And he's warning them, but the teachers of the time were saying, don't worry about it, it's okay. So instead of allowing the people of that time to be able to turn away from the things that were drawing them away from God that were interfering with the relationship that God wanted to have with the nation of Israel, Instead of allowing that to happen, these false teachers were making them comfortable in their disobedience. And they are being condemned here in this passage. And that's the message that, that Ezekiel is giving them to, at this time. Continuing on, now you son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration, from their own heart prophesy against them and say thus says the lord god woe to the women who sew magic bands on on all wrists and make veils for their heads of of persons of every stature to hunt down lives so these these prophetesses were teaching false things they were hunting out people to to to, to draw away hunting like birds he says uh you know hunting hunting down these people to take their lives like people hunt birds. Uh, Will you hunt down the lives of my people, but preserve the lives of others for yourselves? For handfuls of barley and fragments of bread, you have profaned me to my people. For personal gain, you have given this false teaching. In order to lead my people astray, you're getting food, you're getting your own desires satisfied by leading my people astray, God is saying. For handfuls of barley and fragments of bread, you have profaned me to my people to put to death some who should not die and to keep others alive who should not live by lying to my people who listen to lies. For handfuls of... Uh, Therefore, I'm sorry. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic bands by which you hunt lives there as birds, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will, I will let them go, even those lives whom you hunt as birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people from your hands. And they will no longer be in your hands to be hunted, and you will know that I am the Lord. Because you have disheartened the righteous with falsehood, when I did not cause him grief, but encouraged the wicked not to turn from his wicked way. So they're giving these false teachings instead of warning people of the, of the wickedness that they're in and, drawing, and not allowing them to restore that fellowship with God. But so, so they've encouraged the wicked not to turn from his wicked way and preserve his life. 
He could be saved by turning away from the wickedness that he's doing. Therefore, you women will no longer see false visions or practice divination, and I will deliver my people out of your hand. Thus you will know that I am God. So these things, I mean, God is laying out pretty clearly here, both to the prophets and the prophetess, that he is going to punish those who teach falsely. He's going to deliver the remnant from from Israel. He's going to deliver them from the hands of those who teach falsehoods. He does care about his people, and he's going to deliver them from their hand and punish those who are responsible for leading the people of Israel astray. But it's not just the prophets and the prophetess. As we move into chapter 14 of Ezekiel, uh, then some elders of Israel came down and sat down before me. This is Ezekiel saying, these, these people came to me. These leaders of Israel have come to me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speaking of Ezekiel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their face the stumbling block of their iniquity. The thing that God has talked about in all the chapters preceding here has been idolatry, that they carved graven images into the walls of the temple, that they've set up idols in the high places around Israel, in the mountains around Israel, around Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem. And these leaders of Israel that are now coming to the prophet for a word, (laughs) a a word of reassurance, who knows what they're looking for, Uh, but God is saying to Ezekiel, these men have set idols in their heart. They may not have set them up on a hill or or put them on the front door of their houses, but they certainly have set up idols in their hearts and put this very thing uh, that's causing them to stumble, that's causing my wrath to come out upon the, the people of Jerusalem, This very thing, they're setting it up right in front of them. They're blinding their vision with idolatry and and the things that are in their hearts. Uh, Continuing on, they're, they're putting their idols in their hearts and have put right before their face the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? God is saying, why are these, you know, why should I pay any attention to what these people want because they have set their idols in front of their face. They put them in their hearts and now they're coming to me. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them. Thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet. I, the Lord, will be brought in to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. God is going to deal with the leaders who have set these idols up in their hearts in a way that's visible to all. You know, we've heard that phrase, so that they will know that I am God, so that you will know that I am God. These things are being done very publicly, very 
in the open or going to be done very publicly and in the open and in a way that everyone is going to know and completely understand that that it is God's hand in all of this. You will know that I am God. I will punish those who have turned away from me and turned to idols, who have put false gods in front of me, who have put their idols in their hearts and blinded their vision and and what they see with with these false teachings and false uh, false truths. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your, all your abominations. Turn away from these idols. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me, sets up idols in his heart. If you're going to stay away from God, if you're going to turn away from God, you are setting up other things in your heart where God should be, you are putting other things. He puts right before his face the stumbling block of his his iniquity. We want to see that the things we want to do, the, the, those things that we feel, the, the wrong things that we, we want to do, we want to make them right. We want to, to make the whole world take this thing that God calls an abomination and make it right in front of the eyes of everybody. That's what we want to do as people, as fallen people. Uh, this happens in the world all the time. We see it around us every day. Every day. And then we go to God to put his blessing on it. We go to the prophet to say, see, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to make right. And God says, should I counsel them? Or they should, you know, they've already made up their minds. Why should I give them counsel? Why should I reveal truth to them? I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person, uh, in verse 7. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. This is something that people will see, that people will talk about for a long time. And I will cut him off from among my people. Why? So that you will know that I am Lord. Verse 9, but if the prophet is prevailed upon to speak a word, if these people come to a prophet, and I'll use air quotes around that, and the prophet is prevailed upon to speak and support the things that they're trying to get confirmation of, the Lord, it is, it is I, the Lord, who have prevailed upon that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. So if these false teachers allow themselves to be persuaded in order to reinforce the things that the people are trying to get him to approve of, that punishment is going to fall on that prophet as well. They will bear the punishment of their iniquity as the iniquity of the inquirer is, so the iniquity of the prophet will be. 
in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions. Thus they will be my people, and I shall be their God, declares the Lord God. Now if you understand historically uh, what happened to Israel after this time, once the 70 years of exile was completed after Jerusalem was destroyed. Once the 70 years was completed, they were allowed by Cyrus to, to go back into Israel and rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. Uh, they became so legalistic regarding idols and idol worship. They said, we understand the things that God is saying here you know, you're going to know that I had a hand in destroying this because of your idolatry. So the, the leaders, once they were able to reestablish themselves in Jerusalem again, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees became so legalistic in their enforcement of the rules. We know that we shouldn't go here, so I'm going to build a fence around it here and not even let you get close to that. We're not going to allow this to happen to the house of Israel again. Uh, and all the way through the time of Christ, for hundreds of years, they stayed so far away from idols that, that any semblance, any, any hint uh, of idol worship was, was quickly snuffed out by, by the legalism of the day. Uh, so God did not answer when they came to Ezekiel, the leaders that came to Ezekiel. He did not answer them in the way that they wanted. He didn't answer them by giving them what they wanted, but he answered them by giving, giving them what they needed. These leaders came with idolatry in their hearts. And, and that's kind of a hint of what the real problem was. The real problem wasn't necessarily the idolatry, but their hearts. Uh, and God knows what's in our hearts. Uh, you know, sometimes as people, as fallen people, or as sinful, that nature that, that we have, uh, we can do a real good job sometimes of putting that whitewash on the veneer uh, of who we are so that when people look at us, they say, oh, look at Mike, he's a really decent guy. He preaches and teaches on Sunday mornings and, and all of the great things that he does. Isn't he a wonderful person? When... You know, we're capable of still having those idols in our hearts and, and not being what we profess to be. You know, we can fool some of the people some of the time, as they say, uh, but God knows what's in our hearts. He's not fooled by that veneer of whitewash that, that people, other, others see on the outside. He knows how strong that wall is within us. You know, uh, Proverbs 15:3 says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere watching the good and watching the evil and the good he sees it all uh, he's not impressed by what we profess he's impressed by what we are or he's aware of what we are uh, Hebrews 4:13 says and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open to the eyes of him whom we have to do. So we have to, I mean, all of us are going to stand before God at some point in our lives. And everything that we are, not what we appear to be, but what we are, 
uh, will be revealed. And God knows it now. And, and in this interaction with the leaders of Israel, God was responding in a way that made them see or should have made them see that they need to get their, their hearts right in order to, to get back into the favor of God. You know, we are none of us perfect. Oops, I am not going where I want to go. Sorry. You know, we're we're none of us perfect. We all do stupid things. (laughs) Uh, And we're living in a world where the influences of our sinful nature, uh, the influences of the world around us, and the influences of Satan are all battling against us doing the right thing. And, you know, one of the, the keys here is that as Christians, the difference here is that we we can recognize when these things happen. We're not blinded uh, by those things that, that we set up in our, in our, in, in our face, those, those stumbling blocks of our own iniquity. Uh, we can see when we're being affected by the influences of that sinful nature or Satan or the world and confess these things to God and, and turn away from them and, and stay on the right path. That's, that's, the power that we have through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, we are given that. And there's a story uh, in the book of John, chapter 8, that, that I like. And, and there's a, a message at the very end of it that, that's very good. John, chapter 8. And it's the story of, I'm not going to get real deep here into this, of the adulterous woman where the woman was brought before Jesus, who had been, the woman had been caught in adultery. She was brought before Jesus and said, uh, you know, they said to him, uh, she's been caught in adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Trying to test Jesus. And, and we all know the story. You know, Jesus knelt down and, and wrote with his finger in the sand what he wrote nobody knows uh, it's not relevant or we, we would know but the point was is that each man around uh, eventually left having been revealed in his heart what what was you know that it wasn't an obedience to the law that they were trying to do here but but to try and trap Jesus and, and they were convicted of their own sins or, or whatever for whatever reason once Jesus stood up, he was left alone with this woman. And standing up, Jesus said to her, Women, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, here in verse 11, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. And it's that phrase, sin no more. And I've always kind of had this question in my head, why did he tell her to go and sin no more? And I don't think God tells us to do things that he doesn't give us the power to do. 
Was it possible for her to go from that point and sin no more? Because he tells each one of us the same thing. And I think with the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, you know, we have been, the condemnation for our sins has been removed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our, our, and our belief in, in Jesus as Savior. So we're no longer like this woman. We're no longer condemned by our own sins. We've been forgiven. Those sins are gone. And we are told to go and sin no more, just like this woman. And God gives us the power and the ability to see and sense when we are heading down that road that we shouldn't go, when we're looking at those websites that we shouldn't see, when we're having those thoughts that we shouldn't have, we can be convicted of that and confess that and, and stay away from that. But here in Ezekiel, still, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it to destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut it off from both man and beast. Even though these men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. So God is kind of broadening his, his focus here a little bit. You know, God can condemn a country like he did you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the story of Lot, you know, and, and uh, Abraham challenging him on, you know, what if there's 10 righteous or 20 righteous in the city? Would you destroy it? Well, for the sake of 10, I would, and, and kept negotiating down. But it was only Lot who was able to save himself. He wasn't able to save the city. Uh, Noah, uh, lived in a in a a bad area you know bad things were going on it was it was so horrendous that god said i'm going to destroy it all but i'll i'll save noah and noah through his righteousness couldn't save any of, of couldn't save the city couldn't save the world but he could save himself uh, daniel i don't understand daniel's presence here uh but you know through but the point is uh through their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. Continuing, if I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they depopulated it, if, if I cleared out the land of everybody, you know, wild animals came and, and drove everybody out or destroyed them or, or killed them so that no one would pass through it because of the beasts, though, though these three men could have been in there, they could have only saved themselves. Though these three men were in their midst as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughter. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. You know, God's given each of us a free will. Uh, we can't be saved because our parents were great people. Uh, our children can't be saved because we were righteous. Each one has to, has to encompass this righteousness on their own. Uh, you know, we have this free will. We 
we can't give salvation to anybody. Uh, but we can love them, those around us. We can pray for them. We can share the truth of the gospel message with them so that they, on their own, will come to a true and saving faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Or if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in its midst as I lived, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I should send a plague against a country and pour out my wrath and blood upon it to cut off man and beast from it, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would only deliver themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague, to cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, survivors will be left who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Behold, they are going to come forth to you and you will see their conduct and actions. Then you will be comforted for the calamity which I have brought, which I have brought against Jerusalem for everything which I have brought against it. Then they will comfort you when you see their conduct and actions, for you will know that I have not done in vain whatever, it I, whatever I did to it, declares the Lord God. So does God judge sin? Absolutely. Are there consequences to sin? Does he allow destruction, calamity, devastation, and even death to come into our lives? You know, why does he allow this? Why does he allow these things? Well, there's kind of a lot of reasons to make us stronger, you know, bring us through the fire so that we can be uh, purified. You know, all these, there's a, a number of things that we could give it as an, as an, as an answer. But I think the primary way, reason that God brings calamity, destruction, and death uh, to, to come, and the reason he's bringing it upon the house of Israel is so that through this, we would turn to him, turn to God to receive his comfort. And, and here's the best part. Even in the midst of all of that, God is always here to receive us with open arms, always ready to comfort us and always ready to, to meet us where we are, uh, whatever our circumstances may be. God's always there. And he wants that righteousness upon us. He wants us to, to turn to him, to, to turn away from those things that interfere with his fellowship with us those things that we put in our way, that, that we set up in front of our eyes. He wants us to turn away from those and turn to him. And I think that's what, I think that's what Ezekiel's trying to teach us here. So in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 6, it says this, 
For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You know, if, if I didn't love my children, I could let them do whatever they want. It doesn't bother me. But if I love my children, I want to see them doing what is right. And as imperfect, as imperfect as my love for my children is, so much more God loves each one of us, loves every one of us, and, and wants us to be obedient and wants us to do the right things and wants, us, wants to see us live righteous lives. And he will bring discipline and correction upon us in order to, to bring us back, to let us focus back on him again. And I think that's the message that Ezekiel has for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. And we appreciate the things that it, it teaches us, that it, that it holds for us. Help us to look to you when difficult time comes, uh, to examine our own lives, to, to be sure that, that we are speaking the truth, that we are living our lives in a manner consistent with, with your word and what you would have us to do. Watch over us all this day. Help us to encourage one another to to live our lives in a righteous manner, uh, not just to look like that whitewashed wall, but to be pure, to be uh, righteous uh, as Noah and Daniel and Job were righteous in your sight. Help us to live our lives in a manner that would bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you.